Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey everyone, another Baseball America playoff podcast. JJ and Kyle with you. Sorry, no John today. He's working from home and uh, we're not Skyping him in. But we will talk about we have a World Series team. We have a Dodgers team that is moving on to the World Series for the first time in a long time, and a big one for them. But before we do that, we do want to remind you, as always, that our Baseball America podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. So, Kyle, this Dodgers team, if you were watching... The 2017 season, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably did. Not a shock that this team that looked at times during the regular season like one of the greatest teams of all time. They had a little stretch there where not so much. But it, at times they did. And if, if you look at this team and you say, World Series team, absolutely. But you are someone from SoCal. What does this mean? Because it's been... Basically, it's been a generation since we've Absolutely. had a Dodgers team in the playoffs. Just, just to put in perspective, like I'm a fully grown adult, own my own house, married, you know, full time job. I was three months old the last time the Dodgers were in the World Series. I mean, this isn't just a case of oh, it's only you know the ten year old kids who don't remember. There's an entire generation for whom the Dodgers were always kind of the team that should have been better than they were. When you looked at the stars they had, the most amazing statistic was entering this year. All other NL West teams had been to a World Series more recently than the Dodgers had. Padres, Diamondbacks, Rockies don't exactly have the history the Dodgers do, especially the rival Giants winning three kind of uh, hurt hurt the fan base in LA a little bit. But this That's was done. definitely so. You know, this is a team that we saw it consistently just could not get over that hump at the Frank McCourt era. Was it was a mess? Just, even, but even the less said about that, the better. Even even going back to, they had four rookies of the year in a row in the mid '90s. Couldn't translate that into postseason success. That incredible young core: Piazza, Mondesi, Caros, and Noah. And Todd Hollinsworth was the fifth and final that everyone forgets in 1996. Then you move into the Mike Piazza, Fox, you know, News Core disaster. It was a situation where this was a team, there wasn't like a singular moment for the Dodgers that like defined their failure like some other franchises have. It was just a constant stream of, they're good. They've made the playoffs 10 times since 1988. They just could not get over that hump. This team was different. And it was interesting to watch the progression um, when I was in SoCal and doing a lot of baseball coverage out there. I got to cover uh, their 2014 and 15 playoff runs. And even watching just from afar in 2016 after uh, moving out here to the East Coast, uh, being hired by the fine folks here at Baseball America, there was something a little different. The 2016 team, there was a little more fight. There was a little more sense of, hey, these guys aren't going to wilt the minute they get behind, which you saw a little bit in 2014 and 15. And part of that was because lack of depth. If Clayton Kershaw had a bad day, they were, they were in trouble the rest of the series and they knew it. If at you know at the time Adrian Gonzalez and, and some of the other big bats weren't doing so hot, uh, Yasiel Puig was up and down. It, they knew they didn't have the depth to really overcome that. 2016, you started to see the position player depth kind of show up a little bit and help them out and get them out of some jams. We saw obviously Kenley Jansen be Superman in the playoffs, and then you move into 2017 and they've supplemented it. They added even more depth with some of the pitching staff and the rotation. They added a few more key guys on the bench, the Chris Taylors of the world, and all of a sudden. 
the Dodgers were this team that, hey, not that they were ever stars and scrubs, but they were a team that they were consistently shorthanded in the mm-hmm. postseason. And, and they knew it. You could see it in their body language. As soon as something bad happened to one of their stars, they knew they were in trouble. And now there really was a sense of, hey, no problem. Clayton Kershaw gives up four home runs in that, in that in game one. It doesn't matter because we have so many guys who can step up. And we know the rest of the series. We can go to you, Darvish and Alex Wood and Rich Hill, and it's not going to be a borderline arm falling off Scott Casimir or, oh gosh, we're going to have to throw Ricky Nolasco. They're in a better situation. They knew well, it, and they played like it. The other thing about it, we talk about, you know, they had the dip, you know, and, and you mentioned on the podcast at the time, you know, hey, they're playing the second string here. But the other thing about it is is that this Dodgers team, from before day one, treated the season as the goal was October. And you can say that, I mean, at times it was DL stints that you're like, okay, I mean, the great thing about a pitcher is this. You can always, a pitcher can always go on the DL because there's always going to be soreness of some sort. And the and Dodgers they, manipulated the 10 day DL more than any other right. team. And, but they looked at it as, they didn't look at it as having a five man rotation. They looked at it as, we are going to go out there and we are going to have a run of guys. And basically, some, you know, and Julio Urias being done for the whole season before the season began. Did shrug it off. They had, they really went into the year with seven to eight starters. They went into the year with more than a full bullpen, and they went into the year really with they had more outfielders than they knew. You know, we Adrian Gonzalez was supposed to. I know Cody Bellinger as great as he is. Adrian Gonzalez was supposed to be the first baseman on this Cody, team. Cody Bellinger was a non-roster invitee to spring training. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even on the forty man. Well, you know, but so you look at it and you say. Adrian Gonzalez goes down, and they're actually end up better for it. The reality of it is, is that Cody Bellinger right now is better than Adrian Gonzalez. They had Andrew Tolles go down. Andrew Tolles goes down, and they haven't missed that at all because, again, really, when they acquired Chris Taylor, Chris Taylor did not have a necessarily a clear fit as a regular in any way on this team. Nope, not at all. And but that doesn't matter. They were going for depth, and then when Chris Taylor basically becomes the new version of Justin, you know, Turner, the middle infielder who turns into a middle of the lineup type guy with some versatility of as far as where he can play. Well they that that depth that created they've got but they had gone out to get him and said we'll figure out where to fit him in and they did. They've done that over and over on this team where they had backup plans they didn't have to even enact this year. You know if they had needed to, Alex Verdugo could have could have played some sort of bigger role for this team. Jock Peterson, you know, is someone a flawed player, but Jock Peterson has basically kind of shifted into the background, you know, from the foreground. They again, you said Tolls, Adrian Gonzalez, Julio Urias. They throughout had... the year, Peterson went down at one point. Uh, we've seen a lot of guys go down, even to the point of they traded for Logan Forsyth. But on top of that, re-signed Chase Utley anyway. And now, obviously, some of that was Chase Utley's leadership in the clubhouse. But it wasn't like they said, we're just going to get one guy. They kept building this depth. And even into the trade deadline, let's get another starter. Let's get two more relievers in the waiver deals. Let's go get another outfielder, Curtis Granderson. Even though he hasn't done a whole lot, just that consistent let's add pieces and add pieces and add pieces so that no matter what the matchup is, we have a guy we can throw out there. And one through nine, I mean, the Dodgers lineup 
has been one of the most dangerous all year, one through nine, even with all the Absolutely. injuries. Every team has had injuries. The Nationals had injuries, and they withstood them okay in the lineup. But, you know, what the Dodgers have done from the beginning of the year all the way through the end, considering all the bodies they've lost, the different changes they've had to make, it's impressive. Now, let's put a bow on the Cubs here. This is a Cubs team that is not going in, you know, they're not going away. You look at it, and if I'm predicting the NL Central for 2018 right now, I'm predicting the Cubs to win it. I mean, you know, but at the same time, we are hitting the point. We may have, this does not mean they can't win another World Series, but we are hitting peak Cub. We may have hit peak Cub from the standpoint of, what I mean by that is is that their lineup has, you know, has been excellent for for several years here. But the guys who have been excellent and been making $750,000 are going to stop making $750,000 and be making significantly more in the next couple of years. Chris Bryant's, Chris, Chris Bryant's salary is going to go up. You know, Addison Russell's salary is going Javi to go Baez, up. Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras. These guys Kyle are... Kyle Schwarber, potentially. You know. And so... And the reality of it is, is that they had a second wave of guys coming behind them. They... And I do not fault them in any way for doing this, but Eloy Jimenez, Glaber Torres, two of the best prospects in baseball, maybe two of the top 10 prospects in baseball right now, Cubs signed, but both will be, you know, top 10 prospects for other organizations because that's, they've used them as ammunition to get pieces that they needed, Jose Quintana or Oldest Chapman. But what that does mean is going forward, this Cubs farm system is significantly thinner. You know, it's... It is. The one thing that actually I wouldn't say I'm, I'm worried about because this is a good team with a lot of talented players that you know I think we should expect to see in the postseason again next year. The pitching staff, we talked about at the end of last year, was about to get older, and we're now seeing again Lackey, Arietta, Lester. Not all these guys are going to be around much longer. And now that, you know, not that the Cubs pitching, even when their system was good, pitching was a shortcoming for them. Mm-hmm. Now they've traded Dylan Cease who was really maybe their yep. one premier pitching prospect type and you know top 100 prospect type. You know, they've got some guys that you can say at the lower levels that are interesting, you know, Albert Alzales of the world, but that's not a guy who's going to be ready to step in and replace, you know, three rotation members now starting to hit into their mid to late 30s. Right now for me, that's number one concern for the Cubs moving forward is how can we find a way to supplement or augment our pitching staff? knowing that pitching is prohibitively, prohibitively expensive on the free agent market. We have all these raises coming to these core position players, who, some of whom they, we need to keep, and trying to find that. Now, I would not in any way, shape, or form doubt Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, and co. from being able to do it, but it will be a challenge. Right. And probably to do that, if you're not going to do it on the free agent market, is going to be involved trading away players who are on that current Cubs roster. I'm not saying there may not be trading... You know, you could trade also from the farm system. There's still a couple, you know, Abrazale, you've got uh, Aramis Adaman, you've got guys. But they're not going to, they're not guys who are going to be your, your core guys to in a trade. Now, the core guys, is it going to be a guy like Kyle Schwarber who, you know, you say, okay, you know what, hey, you're trading him a little, you'll be trading him a little bit at lower value. But the reality of it is, is that, is he a guy where you trade him to an AL team where they're the defensive, really, he does not need to be a left fielder. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Or, or do you trade, you know, is it uh, Albert Almora? Is it, you know, there are guys, now again, 
I don't know that these deals we're talking about is more to acquire a guy. We're still talking about more on the back end of the rotation, not the front. But they, yeah, they do have issues going forward. And they, the biggest issue is this Dodgers team is built for one, the Dodgers team, the Dodgers have more resources than, than everyone else now, even, you know, they just do. For two, this Dodgers team is earlier in its, basically, in its process. Yes, they spent a lot of money on the pitching staff, all that. But Corey Seager, you know, Cody Bellinger, they're still in the very inexpensive, you know, you're getting, you're getting MVP caliber, all-star caliber production from guys who are making six figures, not seven. And that's that's big. I mean, those are going to be eight-figure guys as soon as they uh, get yeah. a little older. So the Dodgers are in good shape. Look, the Cubs are a fantastic franchise. Three straight NLCSs, World Series last year. I would not expect them to go anywhere. But it was clear this year the Dodgers were the better team. The Dod- and it's not just a function of you know the scores of the games. I mean, but you, no, they were they, they were, were they were they were, they were superior. superior. And again, you could see it. And then oh, by the way, and the scores followed that. I mean, the Cubs. Well, but the other thing is, is the Cubs have to. The Cubs bullpen right now is not where it needs to be next year at this time. No question. And they also have to figure that out. Now, some of that may be development of guys who are there. Carl Edwards, take some time off, rest your arm. But he could be maybe one of those guys. You know, at this point, I don't know if Hector Rondon is going to be ever able to be in a larger role. And, I mean, by the way, I give credit to Cubs fans. He came into that game last night, and Cubs fans pretty much were like, "Uh uh-oh, here comes the Grand Slam. They called it before it ever happened. They'd seen this before. Yeah. Um, But again, you know, and I do not know. Yeah, this is a Cubs team that has more work to do than they did at this time last year, which they did win the World Series. It makes sense. It's understandable. Um, But moving forward, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me, for those of you loyal readers of Baseball America, you'll know the Dodgers were our number one farm system in 2016. Here they are in the World Series in 2017. And to me, they're a really interesting case study. And, okay, we have this elite, you know, farm system. How do we use it to get into the World Series, mm-hmm. you know, sooner rather than later? If you go back and look at the Dodgers' top ten, which is always going to be your creme de la creme of your prospect crop. Pros- prospect crop. It's a tongue twister. Yeah. Here's what they did. Three of those guys in their top ten from that 2016 number one farm system are starters on their NLCS. Corey, or well, Corey Seager wasn't on the NLCS roster, but you get one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, hopefully, Co- we'll be back for right. them Cor- for the World Series. Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, and Austin Barnes has become the starter. Mm-hmm. So that's three. Three, three became starters. Two others, Julio Urias and Alex Verdugo, appeared for the team this year. They did play. Right, and Julio Urias was going to be in the rotation if not for a season. So three starters, two guys who appear. You have four guys who were used in trades to get you the pieces that you need to get here. Jose De Leon, Logan Forsyth started for this team, even though he had his mm-hmm. struggles this year. He is a starting member of a World Series mm-hmm. team. Jose Peraza, part of the Alex Wood deal. And you have Grant Holmes and Jarrell Cotton, Rich Hill deal. So what you have is you, you have three. If you have a top ten farm, top ten guys in a top tier farm system, you rely on three to five of them to be on your roster to help you get there. Trade three to four of them. And the 10th the guy in here is Yadier Alvarez. We'll see how that turns out a year from now. Maybe two. But and that three. was And three. 
But that's sort of the interesting thing to me. And, and when we talk about these farm systems and what they can do, yes, it's prospect talent that you can ride to that next level. But it's also prospect talent you can trade. It goes both ways. If you trade, trading all of them is a bad idea. Holding on to all of them is also probably a bad idea. Because guess what? Jose Peraza, he's fine. But, he's absolutely but, worth what they got for Alex Wood. But also, beyond that, holding on also is not a great idea from the standpoint of trades also allow you to... You should acquire talent. at the In the draft and in international, you acquire talent based on talent. You should never draft saying, well, we're going to need, you know... E- we're going to need a catcher in four years. You don't tra- you don't draft that way because at least much- not the top. Yeah, at the bottom you need some organizational fillers. Right, whatever. but I'm talking you know yeah. guys. You're talking about big leaguers, you know, and all that. You because it's too far away. Where you're drafting a high school guy, you do not know the composition of your team five years down the road, seven years down the road when that player. I mean, look at re- a random one, but the, how long Dylan Batances took to develop. If the Yankees, when they drafted Dellen Batances, would have been talking about the composition of their team when Dellen Batances arrived in New York, most many of the guys were not Yankees at that time. They weren't drafted. They weren't signed. Whatever. So you you acquire talent. What trading also allows you to do is it allows you to take your talent that may not fit exactly what you need. You may have two shortstops. You may have two catchers. Whatever. And it allows you to then take that and turn it into what you do need. Or also, there is a lot of times, Corey Seegers and the Cody Bellingers are the guys who are so good that they can step in from day one. And you have to be able to properly identify those guys. Mm -hmm. Because some teams try this method and they don't properly identify the ones you should keep and it ends up hurting them. You know, but Aaron Judge is an example. Aaron Judge is a cornerstone guy for the Yankees now. Aaron Judge, when he came up last year, was not ready to contribute. It was fine for where the Yankees were at the time, but if you are a team that is contending, you can't give 400 at-bats to a guy to figure it out, generally, because unless you're the Dodgers this year where you're winning by so much that you're like, ah, oh, we could if we had to. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like you, By doing this, that's where trading also is valuable, is Jarrell Cotton may end up producing more war over the next 10 years than Rich Hill. But it's going to be backloaded in that, and the Dodgers needed it now. There's a value of now versus you know future. You know, absolutely. Those are why you. Those why you make those trades. So for me, this is sort of a kind of that case study of the Dodgers. Right, you have top ten. Keep you know three to five. Figure out which three to five are worth chipping out to get proven major league talent. And work that way. I mean, that's, you know, and they have, well, the number 10 guy from that top 10 system is still hanging around. So that to me is kind of that interesting case study. And this, well, this is how you do it. And again, we don't know how Julio Urias is going to come back. But by the way, just as a reminder, as a point of fear for every non-Dodger fan out there, Julio Urias was as good a pitching prospect as there was in the game. Julio Urias was really good for the Dodgers down the stretch last year, pitching the postseason as the youngest guy basically in the major leagues. Since he was the young, since Fernando in a lot of ways, he had a sub three ERA after his first couple starts. I mean, he showed you the flashes. Right. So if Julio Urias can come back from this and be close to what he was before, again, we talk about how they're getting, you know, cornerstone production out of Seeger and Bellinger. And those guys are making nothing. 
The same is true for for Julio Urias. That adds another starting pitcher. Again, we're talking about a serious injury. We you know we we do not know if he'll make it back. But if he does, that is yet another cornerstone guy that this Dodgers team has, who has six years left of five years left of uh, being able to help them. And talk about the Dodgers and the Cubs. This is another difference for the Dodgers. They have some young pitching in the pipeline. Because look, Rich Hill, even though he's in the first year of a four-year deal, is in his late 30s. Yu Darvish is a free agent after this year. He's in his 30s. We don't know uh, when he's coming back, what, what his situation is. Clayton Kershaw, look, he's had a back issue two years in a row now. It's a little bit concerning. Not that any of these guys can re- necessarily replace those guys because those guys are all studs. But you have Hugo Urias come back. You have Walker Bueller who made his debut this year. You moved yeah, down. Who, you by moved, the way, is also one of the best pitching prospects. You, in baseball. you you moved down, and even you know whether you think Yadier Alvarez can start or not, it's still a it's, it's still a, a great power. Arm. It's a great arm that we're is not, better than anything the Cubs have in their we're, system. We're not talking. And then you're talking about Mitchell White, who then, by, who by the way, I keep getting a lot of number two starter grades on. Right. Would be the top pitching prospect. He'd be the top prospect in the Cubs system. Easily, easily, um, you know, easily. And then oh by the way. Moving to like guys like Dennis Santana and Dustin May, who are big league caliber arms as they develop, the Cubs. And then we're talking. And then you can also go. By the way, we've got Kbert Ruiz. You've got like they've got position player prospects as well. This is a really good system. On top of the fact that this is maybe the best team in baseball, and that's where again I would not put anything past Jed Hoyer and three upstream. And you know maybe the Dodgers come out last year come out next year and this deep run takes a toll on them health-wise and not all those prospects are going to hit it can happen the cubs are not in any way shape or form out of it but if you look at the positions the teams are in today the dodgers are in a superior position moving forward oh the other thing with that though is is that the dodgers have done this so easily so far they've cruised through the playoffs so far seven and one that they're also not putting the wear and tear on their players to the extent these guys are, this is, like we talked about the Cubs in this series. The Cubs came in worn out because it took everything that they had to survive against the Nationals, where the Dodgers were just sitting at home waiting, you know. And then you come out of this, it's going to happen again. The Dodgers, as someone tweeted this out again, I apologize, baseball Twitter, I love baseball Twitter during the playoffs. Like, But they, someone tweeted out, like, you know, the point about Kershaw's going to be ready for oh, game He's one. on regular rest. Regular rest. And we know whoever comes out for the Yankees or the Astros is not going to have their ace ready. Yeah. That's, they're going to be doing this again. And if you're obviously for the Dodgers right now, you are rooting for Justin Verlander to go deep and to shove and to push it to a game seven. And then you say, you guys play 20. You know, you let's get, have, you a, have, have a bullpen game in game seven where you have to you know, play for it all and, and use your entire staff. And look, the Dodgers get to fly home. They get to chill for a few days. Whoever wins the ALCS, if we end up going to Game 7 especially, they're going to have to fly halfway across the country, have a day and a half, you know, day or two off, and then have to get ready again. And even you know, the day or two off before the World Series is rarely a day or two off because you still have to go to the ballpark, do the workouts, do the interview circuit. In some ways, that's uh, as exhausting sometimes as some of the other stuff that goes on on the field. Look, the Dodgers are in a great position. You know, congratulations to them. They, this is what you know. This is their reward. They won the most games in the regular season. They got to play the wild card game against an opponent that they were fresh and ready to face. While their opponent had to drag through their own wild card game, they were able to 
take care of business there, go home, have that rest and relaxation. Like they have earned it by the number mm-hmm. of wins they racked up throughout the season. It's the it has, season does it, matter. We want set, the season to matter. It has set them up in a really, really you know strong way, and that's that's they earned it. Again, I look at their bullpen and I say, especially now that they're going to have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And they did not tax their bullpen in any way. They threw Kenley Jansen last night just to get him some work because he hadn't pitched. Right. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. Right. They, it was. It was. It was not something where we said, "Uh oh, we don't have anyone in our pen who can handle a ten-run lead." Right. I mean, this this wasn't. You know, oh, the Yankees are up eight-one, but Batanzas walks the bases, loads eight-four, and now we have to bring in Conley and let's get Chapman warmed up. Like this was a, eh, let's just get him some work. I mean, that's what that's what a lot of their bullpen work has was last night and through the course of the series, in some ways, had been. So uh, there were some close games early, but overall, it was a fairly low-stress situation for the Dodgers' bullpen and the rotation. Even you know when they lost Game 4, game four and Alex Wood only went 4 and 2 thirds, you know, the bullpen came in, just third here, inning here, inning here, and just got it done. It wasn't crazy, stressful, you know, ridiculousness. Yeah, I, I, again, you just look at it and you say... Credit to Andrew Freeman, the entire front office. You know, they've built this team to be here. And they got here, and they're doing exactly what they were designed and to for, do. And for them to go, I mean, if I said to you before the year that they're going to go into the World Series with no, win the NLCS, to dominate the NLCS against the defending World Series champion Cubs with Corey Seager not playing. Yes. With Adrian Gonzalez but, not playing. With, with Charlie Culberson playing like going, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity as with much as I Charlie can. Charlie Culberson, Chris Taylor, and Kike Hernandez playing, getting a, you know, pl- crucial way, roles. I mean, like, we haven't yeah. even talked about Kike yet. Yeah. I mean, that would be, but that's a testament to the depth they built. I mean, before the year started, you said Adrian Gonzalez is the first baseman. Cody Bellinger has another year of development ahead. Corey Seager, if he's out, the Dodgers are in a lot of trouble. Nope, they're fine. They're good. They figured it out, and again, credit to the management, and credit to the players. And we do expect that they, the Dodgers have said they expect Corey Seager to be back in the lineup game one, which, uh, again, just makes a really good makes team. It that much scarier. Right, because you are talking about a cornerstone player. I mean, that's if the Dodgers had lost the NLCS, and they would have, it would have been fair to have said, Man, what would it have been like if they'd have had Corey Seager? He's that good. He's good enough for that to be that kind of guy. No, not a problem. Four one. I mean, it just, it really did. It, it, it's very impressive. We've got a ways, you know. So before we wrap up, uh, any thoughts on uh, Game Six here? We've got uh, back in Houston. I always bet on Justin Verlander. So it's a fair, yeah. As you said on the podcast yesterday, the reality of it is, is that. You feel very good about the Astros' chances in Game 6. Period. Not going on to Game 7 yet. We'll see how it happens in Game 6. I'll say I actually think I. it is hard to follow up as good a performance as Verlander had. You know, He's not going to be that good again, probably. And so really, nothing is Verlander. It's just Verlander was at a different level in that game. But it's also worth remembering that game still came down to uh, Jose Altuve going, you know, first to home on a ball in the gap in the ninth inning. So my point being 
the you know the Yankees. It would also not show. It would not shock me in any way if the Yankees are uh, popping some champagne. And we've seen the Yankees pitching staff have a really good series. You know, Luis Severino. Obviously, that wild card game did not go well, but since then he's got a two point. You know, he's coming mm-hmm. into this uh, this game tonight. Two point two five ERAs have been solid since then. And you know, I think if you're the Yankees, you can say okay. We feel like we've got our horse back because Severino was their best pitcher for a good chunk of the season. So you never know. I wouldn't discount the Yankees in any way, shape, or form. I just, again, I kind of default to I'm going to bet on Justin Verlander. It's a good, it's a good bet to make. So uh, we thank you all for the download. We will be back on Monday to talk about, at that point, we will have, barring epic uh, unexpected, uh, no, there's really no scenario because, you know, they've got a roof. So, uh no rain could, could even ruin this. So we will have a World Series by then. So we will be talking about the uh, end of the ALCS and the World Series to come. It's been fun so far. It's been really good. You know, like I know last night's game, last night's game I, I kind of viewed as almost a breather. I mean, the reality of it is, is unless you were... So did all of Los Angeles. Yes. I mean, when Kike Hernandez at the Grand Slam, it was the enormous celebration. Not just because of happiness over the hit, but because of what it meant. When that happened, it was... We're going to the World Series, and you could chill about it for six innings. You didn't have to sweat. Right. There was there was no sweat after that. None. 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 But so for Kyle, I'm JJ. We thank you for tuning in today. Today's podcast was sponsored by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at baseballism.com and enter the offer code BA Ship to receive free shipping on your order. Visit baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. We will talk to you again on Monday. We look forward to it. We look forward to watching a. Uh, which should be a pretty thrilling Game 6 of the ALCS. See you all on Monday. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.